0: This is A Strategist, episode 10.05. My name is Zane Belcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, how is it going? It is a Monday. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Mike. I... Thank you, Corey. I appreciate yeah, my that. Thank I'm you for bringing that, that Sunday level of energy to this uh, fine <laughs> Monday, uh, Carter. You are in. Uh, you are in, uh, back back in Calgary, and it feels weird. It feels weird for us that you are not um, in the land of British Columbia. Um, why were you fired?
1: No, I was not fired. <laughs> I have been in Surrey for about th- four weeks, and uh, Heather decided that it was time that I came home, and so here I am. And, uh, and you just found a
0: nice masseuse.
2: No,
1: we're not Masseur. doing that mistake again. That was a mistake. We're what is doing this, it? Why,
0: why was therapist. there a very long? Quite. You should have cut him off last time. I had to. <laughs> I had to bear through that. I, you understand the the joy of having Carter around is that if you cut him off, he doesn't take it personally. He just bounces right back.
1: Bounces right back. The next maybe. second.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm gonna be honest with you, Zane. I yeah. wasn't actually aware
0: we were recording. Yeah. But, uh, when it yeah. went live. There you go. Well, that's fine. Um, Corey, everything is okay in, in in your world. Um, you're 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 doing fine? I th- I think so. Um, no, I did I'm concerned lose for
1: him. Like are you okay? Yeah. Like that ass, I did like, lose well, almost... fantasy
0: football on oh. Sunday, which I know you care about. Yeah. Jeez. So now just, I'm only just, 3 more. Just get out one. of your system Carter before we have to move on, please.
1: Socks for you.
2: Okay. <laughs> Nothing.
0: Nothing. This is
2: great. This... Okay. No, Okay. It's A-list content. What's up? What's up? You know, it's, it's election night in Quebec.
0: You we're, know what? I, I should start there, but I'm not going to start there because let's move point. it on to our first segment. Our first segment, the final countdown. Let's start at home. There's some people oh. tuning in who want the Alberta content. And guys, we are here on Monday, October 3rd. On Thursday, we find out if Daniel Smith is going to become the next leader of the United Conservative Party. I want to round this out mainly with a prediction, but I want to actually give you guys some chances to show your work, so to speak, in terms of where this is leading for you, your strategist lens. How are you reading the tea leaves? How are you reading, whether that be the press conferences, the admission that the Sovereignty Act, you know what, Carter, may not be all that bad by some uh, other candidates, the endorsements, the lack of, um, uh, you know, uh, final push, so to speak, by the other candidates. Stephen Carter, show me your work. Tell me what tea leaves, tea leaves you're reading and tell me what conclusion you are drawing towards as we head to uh, to Thursday.
1: Well, I mean, the, I think I'm reading the same tea leaves that everybody's reading, right? Everybody's everybody's sucking up to Danielle Smith. We've already seen, we've talked about the people who've crossed from one campaign to another, including, uh, you know, Raj and Sonny's campaign chair, uh, ducking out uh, the side door and running over to embrace Danielle. Um, there's been many people uh, you know grabbing onto this thing and and becoming part of danielle's team, even though uh, initially they thought that the sovereignty act uh, was a piece of lunacy or that uh, you know her today's um, commitment to get do away with with vaccinations essentially uh you know like it, it, mandatory vaccinations you know that were uh crippling our economy for some reason you know keeping people well. There's stats coming out of the United States right now. The disproportionate number of Republicans have died um, because they're being told not to take the the vaccines. The vaccines are saving people's lives. And uh, Danielle seems to be opposed to that. So, you know, I think reading all those tea leaves are pretty straightforward. It says to us, says to me, uh, Danielle Smith's going to win on Thursday. So I jumped right to the prediction. Am I supposed to have done that?
0: No, that's fine. Okay. You you showed me a bit of your work in terms of what you're seeing. Corey, what have you seen? Whether it's some of the same things Carter's looking at, or some other things to draw your final prediction for what happens on, on Thursday?
2: There's no question that the consensus view has become Danielle Smith is going to win. I don't think you'll find many pundits. I don't think you'll find many conservative party members, UCP members who think otherwise. I am not 100% sure how everybody has become so very definitive about it. Um, there, if there are a couple of countervailing facts on the table, it's that the polls that we do have that are a little bit more member-based and a little bit less Danielle Smith campaign-based mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. show, well. Danielle Smith is likely to win, is that she's probably around 40% and she's going to need a bit of a, a roll-up as things go. Now, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. We have some limited data points on that, but if it is true, it's not impossible. Somebody else wins, especially as a bit of anybody but Danielle fever overtook everybody in September. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of these things that I think everybody is acting very definitively about. Maybe it will be just a total crushing result. Uh, maybe it becomes self-fulfilling at a certain point. I'm less convinced like if you asked me to put a bet even money i would say daniel smith probably wins this thing mm-hmm. but you wouldn't have to give me the craziest odds to say okay i'll i'll maybe take some travis taves action there what? weird phrasing i regret it immediately yeah, I, yeah but no,
1: I'm, I, I'm really tra- upset but, <laughs> this, I am. <laughs> lushing, but i, so I stand lying. by my comment
0: yeah. and one of the things that give makes me, some me travis think taves action put on the shirt go ahead cory go ahead yeah one of
2: the things that makes me think that's not crazy is sort of what Stephen was talking about which is we haven't seen an exodus of MLA endorsements that were currently with taves there's been relatively few and mm-hmm. relatively stable and uh yeah for reasons we've talked about a few times it's a lot harder to switch on somebody once you're there of course of course but there is as we've discussed a bit of game theory there and there is some value to switching if you think it's a sure deal and being one of the first switchers rather than one of the last I don't know. I think people are still hedging their bets within the caucus or at least just deciding, you know, it, well, this is probably 80%. It's not 100%. And um, and so maybe I'll take kind of the same view.
0: That, that's interesting to me, Corey. I, so, so just so I'm clear, you're saying still smart money, one-to-one odds you're taking a Daniel Smith victory, that the confluence of all the commentary and all the other proof points that you've seen would still yeah. be there. But the reasons well, you might be against is the lack of switching in terms of uh, caucus endorsements, is there anything else that, and, and like the 40% that you've kind of seen the polling, yeah. you've added that, anything else that makes you think that um, this could actually be a multi-round vote, that this Daniel doesn't have it in the bag, like anything else that, that kind of sticks out at you?
2: Well, simply that uh, I don't even think Daniel Smith thinks it's going to be a one-round vote. It does seem mm. to be uh, destined to be a bit of a roll-up here. And the conventional wisdom has been for a long time, you need to, what, Carter, you used to always say 42% 42, on the first yeah. ballot as the front runner. Will that hold in this peril or or a polarized world where there's clearly right-wing candidates like Todd Lowen, as well as Danielle Smith? I mean, actually, it's so crazy to say, because it's not like Travis Taves is some sort of progressive conservative, no, right? No. But it, there do seem to be lines that are divided along there. So I don't know if the 42% holds. If it does... I'm not a hundred percent sure Daniel Smith has 42% of the vote. And as we saw in the last month, Brian Jean has been one of the harshest critics amongst the leadership candidates of Daniel Smith. Yeah, And if that vote is going to Taves more than it is Smith, I, I don't know. I mean, my original sort of thinking that maybe this thing's a little bit closer than we thought didn't really require Brian Jean's vote. I assumed Brian Jean's vote would go to Daniel Smith by and large, and that you would see the Schultz vote and the, um, you know, Sonny vote in particular, see them roll up to Travis Daves.
0: But I don't know. Carter, I need I need to examine something. Um, Corey mentioned the 42%. There might be folks wondering, being like, wait, is this some sort of science? Is this some sort of alchemy? Is this some <laughs> sort of like Stephen Carter sort of like willing it into the universe? Walk Walk us through that. Where did you come up with this? Forty-two percent. Was it just you know you you doing Stephen Carter things that Corey and I were definitely used to at Hill and Knowlton? Yeah. Where you said something and we would have to then clean it up and or make it real. Uh, talk to us about that because there were very
1: hurtful. That, that you'd say that, out loud. yeah. It, 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 oh, yeah. trust
0: me. You hurtful to you? Fuck off. I feel like PTSD. <laughs> doing powerpoints about things that we never did at the firm. Uh, let me tell you
2: something. Eighty percent of my job at Hill and Knowlton was yelling at Stephen Carter after a meeting that we can't actually do that.
1: Yeah. But we, uh, the but we did, and then the other twenty percent was <laughs> doing it. Yeah, exactly. And the other twenty percent was exactly. doing it. Exactly. Who did not? Oh yeah, we were we were a special team. Hey, hey, what, hey here's here's it? how you do the, the math. Here's how you do the math. How understand the psychology of not voting for the front runner. So when we have a definitive front runner, when there's someone who is in front, it is very easy to vote for that person. Uh, It is very hard to switch your ballot to that person afterwards. If you were going to switch your ballot, if you're going to choose her number two, why wouldn't you just choose her number one, right? Like everybody knows that Danielle Smith is going to beat Brian Jean. So why wouldn't I just choose Danielle Smith first? And so there's a psychology there of, of if you're going to choose the winner, you choose the winner on the first ballot. And if you don't choose that person, then that person slides down your ballot. So that slide that that that's the first piece the psychology of of picking a second choice that's ahead of you, right? so generally speaking, that's just not something that you necessarily do if with a front runner candidate. The second part of it is that the person who's in front tends to win not because of switchers but because of attrition and so attrition is when you when your ballot no longer has a viable candidate on it. So Corey and I both marked our ballots. we're going to choose Raj and Solly. Sonny, Lila here, and Todd L- Lowen. So those were our three choices. Oh, my God, all three of them came off the ballots, one, two, three. But there's still four more people competing. Those, our ballots no longer count. They're no longer given to someone. So that is now an attrition. So you've lowered the denominator of what it's required to get to 50%. So the lowering of the denominator is actually the primary means by which leaders, you know, the person who's in first place grows their their percentage. They don't actually grow their vote. They tend to grow their percentage because of attrition. Mm. So because of that, um, if, it's un- if it's under 42, it's super hard to grow it through enough through attrition alone, right? So you have to have some sort of vote switch or some sort of vote move. And so 42, 43 seems to be the line where the attrition is no, isn't enough to get that first-base ballot over the line. 47, you could get there after three ballots.
0: Okay, very interesting. Uh, Corey, from your perspective, you mentioned something, and I have to pick up on it. The anybody but Smith fever that you talked about in September. That's in like a day-long fever. That didn't seem like a well, week long fever. Broken. Oh, it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What the hell happened there? Do do, do you feel like it was? And, and and like we expected some sort of anybody but Smith campaign. It certainly started to take off, and then it just cratered. It 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 died. Um, you know, uh, just soon after takeoff. Uh, brought to you by Flair Airlines. Corey, what did <laughs> what happened there? That's what not
2: brought what? to no. But um, <laughs> let me tell you, um, we we talked a bit about this. We talked about um, the idea that maybe she just starved it of oxygen. Maybe what she did was by saying, okay, here's my sovereignty act. It's as bad as you thought, or it's as ill-formed as you thought. There was just nowhere else to go. Nobody could say, well, show us your sovereignty act. You know, Bring these details out into the open. And maybe that's how she did it. Maybe that plus the idea that people started hedging their bets and saying, well, if she wins, I'd rather still have a job. You know, I kind of like this MLA thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the combination of those two things perhaps softened the attacks as as time went on. Um, but you're right. It did seem like all of a sudden everyone just said, oh, OK, um, maybe maybe we stop. And, you know, Zane, the third option, frankly, is is mm-hmm. maybe the idea of self-preservation in a party sense. Like, OK. We are going so hard, maybe we're damaging our party at this point. And maybe we just need to cool it because if she does win, like there's no coming back from this. Like we've gone and we've said we're not gonna vote for this sovereignty act, we've gone out of our way to talk about how dangerous these things are, and if we end up having to do these things, or if we end up in a fight about whether we can do these things out in the public, that's it for us. And it's going to be Rachel Notley returned to government. And and that is also a pretty pragmatic possibility that exists.
0: Carter. Okay, so you guys are both saying smart money on Danielle Smith on Thursday. By the way, on Thursday, I will mention to the listeners we are going to be doing a a live stream of our podcast at seven o'clock Mountain. That's the plan. Right after we do uh, CBC Calgary for for an hour, so we're all three of us are going to be on CBC Calgary for an hour at six, and then the plan is to then jump on do a live stream for some what we call bonus coverage. That's what they say in the biz, Carter.
1: Uh, but <laughs> Carter, I got to pick yeah. up on this.
0: Yeah. Danielle Smith doing a press conference today and answering a lot of questions that are hypotheticals about the future. Like, I get it, like smart money amongst the pundit class, perhaps the voter class, even her competitors. Did that seem presumptive to you? Was that that kind of weird to you, talking about where she would potentially run, like, by election? I know, and I know the media posed questions to her, so it's not like she stood in front of a microphone and said, here's my plan once I win on Thursday, but
1: what, what, did you kind of think that was slightly weird? Yeah, I mean it's slightly weird, but it's not over the top weird. I, I think that there hmm. are a lot of okay. questions about what does Danielle do when and if she wins, and uh, this is what she's trying to do is put in place a a reasonable plan, right? This I could be the premier a rule for that you the following never reasons.
0: Lean into the hypothetical, so Carter. Like, oh, is yeah. that like one of our standard campaign rules that we even talked about it recently? that you don't lean into the hypotheticals. It's, it's not good form, but here you, you're kind of giving it a pass in some ways.
1: You don't lean into the hypotheticals unless you need to lean into the hypotheticals, right? Unless the well, hypotheticals the okay. that are being well, asked- Thank you for now. Yeah, there no, you go. I mean, the hypotheticals that are being asked actually add credence to her claim that she could be the pri- the, the premier, right? She's She is saying- yeah I there's no problem I can be the premier I can I can run in a by election I have had many people suggest that they would be willing to step down and I could take their seats um no it wouldn't be Calgary elbow because I'm a rural girl, rural girl it's hard to say rural girl it's hard to do but that's basically what she said and that she lives in a rural riding and as a result she'll be um she'll be contesting a rural seat um that was interesting to me not because It was addressing a hypothetical. It was addressing a weakness. The weakness in her campaign is that she will not be a sitting MLA, uh, and it'll be hard for her to be premier as a result. She addressed that weakness. She took it on head on, and she's now eliminated that as a potential weakness for her campaign. That's just good campaigning. You answer the hypotheticals that make sense. You don't answer the hypotheticals that are going to take you off track. You'll see that. It's very convenient when most politicians say, I don't answer hypotheticals. They don't answer hypotheticals if it doesn't serve the purpose.
0: Corey, why is Carter a Daniel Smith apologist? And and when did he become <laughs> this? Um, well, but seriously, I guess
2: everybody's hedging
0: here. Right? <laughs> there you go. There's, there's, yeah. a, yeah, not very, no, listen, I, I very think meta Carter. Carter. But do you agree with Carter on this? No, like, I don't. I, I don't. don't, I think there
2: were a couple of mistakes that were made today by Danielle Smith. The biggest one, of course, having this press conference at this moment. Was she bored? Did she have nothing else to do? I don't think it was particularly added into the campaign. And it did seem to be measuring the drapes. Here's the thing. like Today is the last day for mail-in ballots to be received for the UCP race. It's not the last day to vote. You can still vote in person at one of five locations on October 6th. And I suspect there are still a number of people who have not voted. And I don't know why you would at this particular, like, let's put it this way. Did anybody listen to Daniel Smith and say, okay, I'm going to vote for her? No, I mean, if anything, she raised certain concerns around, like, uh, going to go back to the well, challenging the carbon tax again. You, you lose she, at the Supreme even, Court, you don't to get to go that,
0: back. She even alluded to the fact, Corey, that I may not call an early election because there's a chance I would lose calling an early election. So to speak, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, kind of talking about her. And she didn't say yeah. those words. To be totally clear, no, yeah, but 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 like implying that. Um, but but keep going. You're you're kind of running a list through, uh, yeah, through. through... Uh, She talked a bit about how she wants to
2: add to the Alberta Human Rights Act the idea of being unvaccinated as as a protected group. Listen, if that's your thing, you're already voting for Daniel Smith. If it's not your thing, you've just been reminded and scared by it because you know the ramifications that are pretty significant. You think about the healthcare sector where where mandatory vaccination has been required for quite some time for quite good reason
1: for a lot of different things. For a lot of different things that that are really important.
2: Yeah, like you know this this is something that. That is pretty fundamental to that basic standard of living and life expectancy we have here, right? Uh, vaccines are one of these miracles, whether it be measles or pertussis or any of that, where we live longer as a result of this. And now we're, we're saying it's kind of optional in some of these settings where there are high-risk patients around. I mean, it's just the whole thing is a bit crazy. But that's the risk. The risk is that somebody hears that and says, well, you know, I was pretty disengaged. Everybody had said not really worry about it, but now I'm worried again. Now I'm worried about some of these things that have come up. So it felt to me a lot like jumping back into the fire after getting out of it in September. Don't see the point. Now, is it going to be like this massive material thing? I don't think so. I think maybe we're talking about one or two percent. But if the scenario that I've weaved here is accurate, one or two percent, yeah. it's possible the game is one or two percent. And but- so why, why mess with it? Like, what's the upside? I don't see the upside.
0: I agree with Corey there, Carter. I want you to kind of, you know, refute what Corey said here or kind of, you know, give your take on it because he makes good sense. It's the margins of one or two percent. It doesn't look like great form uh, in, in, in many ways. Would you have done the press conference to begin with if you were advising her? Like, I know the messaging is something you don't agree with in the sense of what she's talking about. I think that's fair to say for all three of us. But would you have advised a tactic? Because you 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 seem to argue that some of the hypotheticals she answered today helped her with that broader audience.
1: I do think that they helped her with the broader audience. I think that her being... You think today was a net positive for her? I think it's a net positive. I do think that she's got some crazy positions. I think that the vaccination position is nuts. I think that the carbon tax position is nuts. But uh, and I think the Sovereignty Act is nuts. I am I am all over those those positions. But... I am not in a position to say that, you know, that it wasn't better for her to look like someone who was ach- achieving the premier's chair. And that's what she's ach- achieving is the premier's chair. So um, I think that that's the point. The point is that she wants to be seen as someone who can be the premier. And for that reason, I think that what she did today on balance was better. I think that Corey made some good points, um, you know, he he made some good points about where uh, this could be, this could conceivably go off the rails. But I come down on the side that says that overall it was about her appearing to be a premier, and that was probably pretty good. Her getting treated like the premier by the media isn't bad.
0: But would you advise that she do this today?
2: I no, I wouldn't. Hmm. I understand what Stephen is saying, but. If you take her at her word and she doesn't intend to go for an election until the spring and it's going to be May 29th, 2023, she can wait, she can wait three fucking days, four fucking days to act like a premier uh, because, you know, otherwise you do risk upsetting a cart that seems to be really laid out for you. I, I don't understand why you would put that risk in at this point.
0: Art, I'm going to ask the, the same question Corey just introduced. Which, what's her biggest risk between now and Thursday? Right. Corey's mentioned that people can still vote. For Daniel Smith today, yeah, right. Smart money with you guys, the pundit class, the political class, the chattering class—all those put together, it all seems to be converging, Stephen Carter. That this is a done deal. What's your biggest risk between now and Thursday?
1: Well, I think that this is a different process. So, like in, when we won in uh, in 2011, uh, we had everybody voting on the on the day of the elect, you know, day of the count, right? And so everybody mm-hmm. went to polling stations throughout the province, and those polling stations were super busy. And so if you were saying something three days before, that was going to be a major, major decision because that was going to be heard as everybody was heading to the ballot box. I mean, it's the same thing that we talk about, you know, in a general election. Like we have the Surrey election, the, the advanced vote starts on, on the 5th. You don't want to screw up and, and screw up your advance vote. The difference is in this type of a case, Corey actually has brought this up before. How many votes are actually left to be cast? Right. Corey has yep. brought that up in different places as mm-hmm. we've been doing different mm-hmm. leaderships. How many votes are left to be cast? And my argument would be in this particular case, I'd already heard that they've gone over 50% of the membership voting. Um, I don't expect it to be anywhere near 60%. But let's just say for shits and giggles, it does get to 60%. That means that what, maybe there's 5% of the v- electorate voting? Uh, I mean, what are you giving up when most of the votes are already cast? What are you giving up, mm. you know? This might, this might just be some pre-positioning, taking, the, t- taking it early. Um, do I advise her to do it? Probably not. But still, I don't think it was as bad as Corey thought it was. And Corey, jump in on this.
2: Yeah, so I do generally agree with, I guess, myself, because you're quoting myself from an earlier one, how many votes are, are left to be cast. But the big difference here is when we were talking about the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race, it was you could only vote by mail. And so when you started getting into those final days, it's it's like there's relatively few people who are waiting to mail at the absolute last minute because yeah. there are risks and you don't know how long it's going to take. The big difference here is there is an in-person option. There is an in-person option. So there is going to be the type of voter who's like, oh, I'm just going to go in person. Right. Yeah. How many? I doubt that many because I think for most of the race, the expectation was just vote by mail. But a few a few will and uh and it's going to be a little bit different. I, I think your percents are not necessarily wrong. I think five five percent of the membership is probably the total high end of what I think would yeah. vote on the last day. But again, game of game of inches potentially.
0: Carter, final question here, and I was gonna wrap up earlier, but this 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 press conference I can't get over it. And and I what does it say about okay, I think you may have answered this in some way, but I'll ask it anyways. What does it say about Daniel Smith's instincts, her political instincts? Because I think you and and Corey may have different things to say about that, but I think that's the heart of what I wanted to get to with the press conference question, to be totally honest, and I'm finally getting there now, which is, what did today say about her political instincts? Because I think it was presumptive. You don't, but so, so
1: spell it out for me. I think her political instincts are trash. I think that this could have worked out for her, but I don't think that this is a good political instinct. I think that the political instinct, she's chasing 20% of the electorate, hoping to win a majority government. And I think that that's, that's a ridiculous way to try. and. I mean, I'm, I'm watching people do that in Surrey. That doesn't work. I mean, the only way you can choose, you can chase 20% and hope to win is in a leadership. But her leader, you know, she's going to become the leader. This is a leadership. No, it. it's not you. a leadership. It's not a leadership. Yeah. You don't just become the leader of the party to trash. The- you don't want to be the Kim Campbell. You do not want to be the Kim Campbell. I mean, arguably, and I don't agree with this argument, but I'm going to put forward the argument that has been put forward by Pierre Polyev's people. Pierre Polyev's people have said, we have enough time to recover from this disastrous leadership and the policies that he's put forward because we have three years to start to pivot towards what the general population wants. And we will see Are they saying that? Because I don't think
0: they're saying that at all. I think they're saying double (laughs) down on what we just... More of what we just did for the last several it suits months. Suits my
1: narrative, guys. So we're gonna go with that. Okay. <laughs> keep keep
0: Jesus. Okay.
1: <laughs> no, not okay. <laughs> mean not okay. Corey gets to be inconsistent all
0: the time. Why do I have to be consistent now? Yeah, but he's way more articulate when he does it. Okay, it's true. <laughs> It's true. Um My point okay, is going, simply this. You're, you're getting you're getting somewhere. You're getting somewhere. Yeah,
1: maybe. this is my point is this. This is not this is not great for setting her up to be the guy you know the person who wins the next election Corey and i talked about the polls and where the polls were showing holes in calgary on the last hogan and carter or whatever we called it um it hogan and carter right great show it's
2: carter and hogan great show. either way it is a great, great show. show
1: um but i think that this is a uh i don't like her instincts because her instincts have always since the day i met her her instincts always take her to a small percentage of people instead of to the larger percentage of people. It's, who she, it's how she wants to be. It's how she wants to be seen. She loves fighting for who she feels is the persecuted minority. She felt that way when she was advocating for property rights. She felt that way when she was fighting against the government's electricity programs. She feels that way today when she's fighting for people's vaccination stand, positions. That's who she is. That's what she likes to fight for
0: any comments on, on her political instincts as we round this out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have a little bit of humility here and say that she has exceeded our expectations multiple, multiple times yeah. along Including the way Including in here. this race. Including in this race. But even before this race, I- even her entry into the race, I think we were like pretty dismissive of her jumping into the race so quickly, even teasing it out ahead of time she was probably going to be in. Uh, the the way that she managed the narratives was, was kind of wild. Uh, but in, you know with the benefit of hindsight, it was pretty effective. And even the way she managed to stomp out conversation about the Sovereignty Act, at the time I said, Well, this is gonna satisfy nobody. It's just as bad as we thought. But it it just it sucked all the oxygen out of the room. So is it is it intentional? Is it accidental? At a certain point it doesn't matter. She's just she naturally finds herself in these politically advantageous situations. Now, hasn't always worked for her. Of course there's an election that Stephen Carter and I will remember quite well, twenty twelve where it all sort of fell off the rails for her, uh, you know, at the last minute here. Absolutely possible that happens again. Uh, Probably, again, smart money wouldn't be that it falls off the rails in the leadership. But yeah, she has set these ticking time bombs for herself all over the place. Nonetheless, we've said so many times, you know, you got to do these things in sequence, right? And You you don't want to paint yourself into a corner, but you can't worry about winning the general until you've won the leadership. And she's decided this is how she wins the general. And if I, you know, if that scenario I spun out was accurate, if it is close, and I'm not saying it is for sure, right? I don't want to be misunderstood on that. Well, then her barely getting over that hump, that shows that she ran a pretty optimal strategy. Maybe she wouldn't have won it all if she hadn't. So in that sense, maybe it's not so wild what she's doing. So I guess I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a little bit of humility here. She has exceeded my expectations for the past eight months Mm. or more. Um, and so I'm certainly not going to start disparaging her political sense.
0: Well, you can certainly catch the non-humble versions of us once we, we think we know the results on Thursday, which we will be doing our live stream, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's right. Stephen Carter, 6 p.m. We're on CBC Calgary, uh,
1: to talk for the hour. Yeah, Carter, you want to jump in in on something? something. You you want to talk talk about
0: Pierre Polyev's pivot strategy? Go ahead. Yeah. I'm shocked that that
1: Corey has humility. I've never seen it before. No, I think it was me
0: either. It's a little weird. Yeah, yeah it was, that it was, was totally that came off as increasingly insincere. If you ever want to know if Corey's <laughs> made for politics, yeah. uh, the answer is no, because uh, that didn't deliver yes. Corey. And some coaching, fair required. enough. Fair enough. some yeah. bridging and flagging for you. Let's move it on to our next segment. Our next segment can't let go of Legault. Stephen Carter, Francois Legault is back. Wins a majority government tonight in Quebec. Uh, his party, the CAQ, has has recu- secured a resounding win in the Quebec legislature. But Corey, that's not the full story, is it? Because I want to use this as a jumping off point to talk about, well, not necessarily Quebec, unless you guys want to talk about it a bit. And if there's anything interesting, Corey, I'll let you go first on that as our um, French Canadian Quebec correspondent. Um, But yeah, chief chief correspondent, chief francophone correspondent. Yeah, thank you. Which is actually, we've expanded the title. This is pretty good. I'm not even a francophone, but uh, Uh, no, I appreciate that. On this podcast, you are. You got two (laughs) barely... Two barely unilingual people in Carter and I. Exactly. Um, we barely <laughs> get so by in English. Lean on you, Carter. Corey, I want to talk. I want to talk more broadly about political parties. You know, I want to talk about uh, the the resurgence, one might say, of the conservatives in Quebec. Kind of tie that into maybe a broader themes that we're seeing across the country in terms of fickleness of voters around political brands. Where we kind of stay on brand health on political party. Are they as robust or as Can we be as romantic about them or sentimental about them as we have been in the past? But talk to us about Quebec first. I'll give a bit of a roadmap to the listeners, but give us your take on what you saw tonight in Quebec with François Legault.
2: Yeah, well, so you talked about the, first of all, Legault managed this pretty brilliantly, and he effectively ended the campaign where he began. He kept his opponents evenly divided, shockingly evenly divided. I was just pulling up the most recent percentages.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, You have Quebec Solidaire at 149 Party Quebecois fourteen point eight. Uh, the Liberal Party PLQ is at fourteen point four, and the Conservatives thirteen point one. That's super tight clustering yeah. for opposition parties, do, and it's. Kinda, do we know who's going
0: to form the official opposition yet? As, yeah, as, as for Liberal
2: sure Party? we do. It's going oh, okay. to be the Liberals. Liberals um, Yeah. Okay. And and one of the okay, so you're you're stepping all over some of these interesting insights. I want to I want to lay mm-hmm. on you. They're not that interesting, but you talked about the Conservative Party um, being. Uh, resurgent and that's true i mean this party basically didn't exist until 2009 and it was taken over and it was used to um uh, will effectively be a vehicle for eric duheim who is going to uh, you know be this champion of conservative values now he lost in his riding as we are recording uh it looks like they may have been totally wiped out and not gotten a single seat despite getting just a like percent of the vote behind their their opponents there but TBD because we're still waiting for results from both both north or both nord I suppose and both south is pretty close but I think that one's probably locked up at this point don't think it's called both could potentially go conservative that would be interesting because then they would find themselves in the in the house uh, the national assembly but um Let's talk about these other ones here. Like the mm-hmm. Liberals have basically become a regional party. They are only competitive on the island of Montreal yeah. and, and some areas outside of Quebec or of uh, Ottawa. And um, they, while well, they managed to get 23 seats, which is not too many less or fewer than they had uh, going into this election. I think at this solution, they were at 27 they're they're running fourth and fifth in I like most of the rest of the province like they are just they're just way run off the table uh you have uh quebec solidaire which is going to end up it looks like with 10 seats which is what they went into it i believe uh first time in a while they haven't actually increased their seat count party quebec almost wiped out three seats but they were almost wiped out last time with seven seats so we'll see mm-hmm. what happens there but and you know at, at the top of it all, you got CAC, who is just shy of ninety seats currently, right? Yeah. Uh, Eighty nine seats. And what blows my mind about CAC is they didn't exist two elections ago, right? I mean, yeah. you know, like they they they're this whole party that Legault just created around himself. You pick up the constitution of of that party, and when you know what it says for leadership, like leadership election, just says Francois Legault is the leader of the party. Like that is hard coded into their constitution. You know, and and down the road maybe there'll be a different way, basically. But for now, he's leader of the party. Uh meanwhile, you've got this kind of uh, you know, we've already talked about Duam's uh, you know, conservative party, which is essentially just a vehicle for himself, essentially using a brand that did not exist in Quebec in anyone's history. Or, you yeah. know, because uh, you know, those who follow Quebec politics will know for for a lot of the 20th century, the early part of it, the Union Nationale was trading back and forth with you know, the liberals. The Union, the union part of that was it was – you know, the conservatives were part of that union. There was no conservative party at that time. And so this is just like a whole new construction that's brought forward. And so I think maybe where you're bringing us to, Zane, is when we look at the overall results here, we look at the percentages in Quebec. The majority of Quebecers are voting for parties that did not exist 15 years ago. Did not exist 15 years ago, and you know Quebec Solidaire barely existed at that particular moment. So if you want to throw them into the mix, all of a sudden two thirds of Quebecers for parties in the past 20 years they were created effectively. And what does that tell us about politics? Is it unique to Quebec? Is it a bigger point? I
1: I don't,
0: I don't think it's unique to and, Quebec. And Carter, Can Carter. We... Before uh, I'll let you jump in, in a second, uh, but before that, uh, Carter uh, en français, Corey, please. What you just said. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That was all in French, actually. Oh, You're wow, just okay. so good at it, you didn't notice. I didn't
1: understand a word of it. That's perfect. I always, I always knew I'd think yeah. in French
0: and listen in French. Carter, <laughs> what does it say? Because one could argue that the degree we're seeing it in Quebec with multiple new brands, parties being created, uh, is unique. But it's not necessarily unique. Like We I mean, look at our home province, the conservative party, majority of Albertans voted for a party that didn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> until what, four or five years ago, like with you know in that in that two horse race in 2019. But your thoughts on this, Carter, from a party and brand perspective, and what it maybe says about voters and what it says about the moment we're in.
1: I think we're seeing more party fluidity, right? Like the uh, the the CPC didn't exist um, that long ago. The um, the the uh, the creation of even the Reform Party under Preston Manning. The we have fluidity in politics. Uh, we're now watching the the BC Liberals decide whether or not they should be B- BC United, which, you know, it, it, it's... We'll get to, we'll get yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, all of these parties are, are are forming. And I do think that it actually requires courage, right? Uh, say what you will about Lego, but, it, you know, sure, it's almost dictatorial in terms of how he's created the party, but he created the party. Um, he chose this as a path. And I think that if I were sitting on the wrong side of Danielle Smith's creation um, and I and I was concerned as an MLA or I was concerned as a senior party organizer um, that I didn't like where this party was going, I would be looking around and saying, you know, it wasn't that long ago the Saskatchewan party was created. It wasn't that long ago that, uh, um, that the, the, the United Conservative Party was created. People are willing to step out of the brands that we know and choose new brands. Um, they are, in fact, I would argue, looking for new brands because they do not feel like the old brands represent them. And that is a tremendous, if you will, marketplace opportunity. Uh, if if you have five or six MLAs right now that are, are dispirited or upset with what's going to happen, you know what? Five or six MLAs, a party doth make.
0: Uh, Corey, I want to I w- get your feedback on this, but to the point of do you think people are looking for new brands? Like have we had enough proof points in this country and perhaps even Western democracy, if I could be so bold to expand it out uh, as far to say people are looking for, for new brands. I want to get still examined yeah. the why, why political parties are doing this because I think the Legault example is, is maybe not a unique one, but it's one of the lanes. There's other reasons, but t- tell me about Carter's hypothesis here that, that, in fact voters are looking for for new constellations, new brands, new feelings to to perhaps guide them and and motivate them to vote. Um I, so you might
2: see this as a distinction without a difference, but for me it's not so much voters are looking for new brands, it's that they're repelled by current brands. We are we are in a situation where negative partisanship rules the day. You're not defined by your love of party, you're defined by your loathing of another party. And there are there are people who have realized well, my God, half the population hates the liberals, half the population hates the conservatives, or if you're in Quebec, half the population hates the liberals, half the population hates the PQ. Why don't we just build something new here? It doesn't have any of that negativeness, and we can just run it entirely on a brand that carries no baggage because we're we're in an era where it's all about what you hate, right? And so I think in an era where it's all about what you hate, the appeal of a new brand is very, very strong. The other thing that can't be discounted is when you think about why Lego went this route rather than trying to take over an existing party. Correct,
0: which which has been the route in the past. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh it's it's no doubt because of like control and authority and I don't want to fight like this vanguard battle with somebody who, you know, voted for the other guy and doesn't really like me and I'm spending half of my energy dealing with internal party strife. The party is my views. Hell, in Legault's case, the party is me. And uh, you can get on board or you can get the fuck out of here. And I'm just not – I'm not willing to tolerate anything beyond that. I mean, my God, your constitution says I am the leader. You know What do you think the review process is for that, Zane? Spoiler, there isn't one. Like you're in the party if you support Legault and you're not if you're not. And, um, and when you think about how a political party needs to put its energies towards a general election, I mentioned – uh, a friend of mine who said that the reason why rachel notley won in 2015 justin archers his name is because she was the only one dressed for the bus when it came right all these other political parties were so mired in their own bullshit this model of just creating a new party in the Lego model which is not quite the same as the saskatchewan party model or the bc united let's just change the brand model effectively means you can spend all of your time getting ready and none of your time fighting you know Fighting, I don't know, how am I going to continue this metaphor? Fighting with your spouse to get into the closet? I don't know. Carter, clean that one That
1: was the world's worst metaphor. (laughs) I I don't even know what it it is. I'm right now thinking (laughs) there's a lot of issues going on at the Hogan household. I'm very upset.
0: Carter, I've I've got many follow-up questions, but one that's, that's teased out from Corey's point here. Have political parties, are they now perhaps looking at themselves as disposable vehicles like as 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 long as it serves the purpose of the next three races or this leader or this particular moment fuck it who cares we could be a, i don't care if it's a corpse in 10 years is that do you is that too crass and perhaps too simplified or do you think we're kind of in that moment that fuck it we're just going to change brands every decade might as well make this one about me uh, per the Lego model what do you kind of think of that
1: I think that most people involved in political parties don't have enough, like, don't give it any thought at all. Um, I don't think that there's nearly enough thought given to uh, the brand structure of a political party, what it stands for, how it's supposed to act, how it's being received by the the population at all. I think that far too many brands are focused on how do we win the next election, not who are we and what are we, what, what is the market need? You know, forgive me for using words like market need, but that I think is... Is really what politics misses sometimes. I think that too far too many politicians want to serve their own needs and, and don't look at the marketplace and say in the marketplace of ideas where do we actually fit here? And uh, I think that's the real opportunity that they that they can bring is um, you know if if they thought of themselves as a brand they could say you know what? let's blow this brand up in twelve years. Um, there could be an argument that says that the Canadian you know the the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, after justin trudeau we
0: need to yeah
1: you know should be should be thinking about what is our what is our brand position and what are we going to do they won't instead they'll elect a leader and and do leader style politics because that's basically what we do now
0: party same question to you based on your point our our disposable party
2: carter's last point is exactly the point i wanted to make here this is in many ways a natural consequence of leader-centric politics You talk about political parties changing their brand every decade. They do. They change their leader. And then the whole look of the party, the whole policy of the party, everything about the party, who's in charge of the party, who's the candidates Mm -hmm. of the party, everything changes. And I think as long as we are running these strong leader models, there's going to be a great appeal in just creating your own party. Because, you know, I mean, I think about the federal liberal party going from basically the 70s through to kind of a collapse of this in the in the 2000s. Uh, but where it just traded back and forth between wings of the party, the business wing of the party, the more socially progressive wing right
0: of the party. this 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 right. non ideological morphing sort of nebulous we can be whatever we need to be in this particular moment, read the room sort of vibe yeah, well, and were. you know
2: it worked as long as everybody just sort of grumbled and sat there, and it started yeah. to fall apart when they weren't willing to do that but uh you know imagine it 's not actually that hard to imagine a scenario where Uh, you know, Paul Martin, rather than trying to get the Quechuan Liberal Party to work with him, if this was twenty years late, I mean, if it was twenty years later and if he was a different person, you know, just saying, well, I'm just going to create my own party, yeah, right. I don't have to deal with any of that. Yeah, I've still got those people mad at me, but we'll just we'll just pick over the carrion here. And you know, this leader centric politics colors everything about it, and because we're no longer like candidate centric or party centric, it just you know. In a way, I mean, in a funny way, I think it's weird that people do hold on to the brand so much. I really do. I, you know, we've gotten to a point where they seem so much less consequential, and we we hold on to them because we, as party people, are invested in them. But the public seems to just hate party politics and is willing yeah. to try the new thing, and um, and and it seems to kind of hold you back and fight with it. And despite me even saying all of this, it sounds ludicrous to me
0: on a certain yeah. level. Right, so let's talk about the the Cardi can we talk about the mechanics of this? This is what I'm uh, I'll kind of leave this bracket open that we've kind of have right now. Sure. You know they they, they they like they talk about like entrepreneurship these days it's so easy in some ways, right? Like all you need is your idea, your phone and your laptop and for most ideas you can get started there. Has starting a political party become easier or is it that same annoying upstart that it was 50 years ago that, you know, that it was the pain that many took to start the Alberta Party or a project we are all in some degree familiar with. Like, talk to me about the pains of doing this, because have we made it easier in some way to upstart a party uh, in terms of what it looks like, how to set up brands, how to set up operations? I want to get mechanical here, because I think that's what ultimately also feeds the fact that we might see, at least in our our political futures, a churn of brands and an introduction of, of new upstarts.
1: Well, it's not actually gotten any easier technically, right? So forming Mm. a a technical party is actually relatively straightforward. Um, You have to, you know, have candidates if it's an election. So you can form it during an election where you need to have 50% of the candidates. You need three seats in the legislative assembly. So, you know, I was talking about this, um, you know, if you've got five people in the UCP who don't like Danielle Smith, they can be a new party tomorrow and that new party would be recognized by uh, Elections Alberta. The hard way of doing it is to complete a petition containing at least 8,473 names um, from eligible electors.
2: And Should we be worried you had that number at
0: hand? <laughs> Carter's literally <laughs> oh. deep to that number. It's like he counts sheep. He, 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 yeah. Stephen Carter, how many political parties have you tried to start? I, may,
1: I, I may have shown too much of my hand.
0: Uh, <laughs> of course great. you have. Of course you have,
1: yes. No, I well, mean, listen, I can work they... the Google machine while, while Zane talks as well as anybody, Corey.
2: That's uh, good. I'm um, proud of you.
1: But the point of the exercise is that it's, it, to do that last one is really quite challenging um, because mm-hmm. now you're looking for, you know, 10,000 people who want to put their names down on a signature on, on a petition to sign a political party. Uh, the the success rate in, in Alberta has been very low for that. Um, traditionally, it's been done by people on the right. And the rest of the parties have been in place forever, the Marijuana Party or the Rhinoceros Party or the Communist Party. Mm-hmm. We actually, I think, have two Communist parties. It wasn't enough to have one. But once they're formed, <laughs> they're very easy to maintain. You just have to file the appropriate paperwork and ensure that you're raising money appropriately. They can they can live forever. Um, So once a party is formed, it's much easier to take over that party. And so that's what um, Brian Teeson and Shima and Uh, and a few others did when they took over the Alberta party uh, around the time that uh, Nahed Nenshi was elected in 2010, 2012. Um, And that's why, you know, the Alberta party uh, started to zig and zag into becoming a new, a new entity Um, at that time. It was not created. It was taken over. Uh, So it's, it's hard, Mm. it's hard to do on some levels, find three MLAs that want to do it. That's tough. Um, But it sh- it's actually ridiculously easy on the other, uh, on the other hand. Corey, and talk to me about this, the mechanics
0: of, of party upstarting, of start up yes. starting up a party in that sense. Is it, is it akin to like easier uh, to, to start a business today or to start your own little tech company or is it just as hard as it used to be in your mind?
2: Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's probably, it's so fast. Okay. So let's just say this. The Alberta Party is such a fascinating example, I think, of the opposite of what Legault did right? Like they started a political party, but they did <laughs> everything be. else the opposite. Yeah. They spent all of their time being a party rather than a vehicle to win elections. They got together, they debated policy, they fought about the idea of a strong leader every step of the way. They didn't want a strong leader. They were constantly hemming in their leader and reducing the authority of the leader. They spent a lot of time even debating whether they should be a political party, let alone what their policies should be. They were basically like this this drawing room conversation turned into an electoral vehicle. And fucking surprise it didn't work right like mm. i mean it, it maybe it could have worked in a time where we were in more party-centric times but we were in leader-centric times and they could never figure out the leader part of the equation and whenever they had a halfway's competent leader they were always trying to either fetter that leader's authority or look for a better leader right like you know they were just you know they were never satisfied to just get on with the business of trying to be a political party or even being defined and clearly articulating who they were to the market. And I think fundamentally, the Alberta party is so flawed to its core, it's barely worth talking about, except as a negative example, as we are right here, right? But this has been the case for so many political parties, like Stephen has mentioned, those random, like the marijuana parties and whatnot. They're these organizations that are just sort of, they exist to perpetuate themselves rather than the idea of elections. They are there to have conversations about, a marijuana, a substance now legal in this mm-hmm. country. And there's still mm-hmm. a marijuana party, right? And and so that's that's not very productive. What Legault did was the opposite. Legault said, I don't want to deal with this shit. I just want to run. I just want to do it my way. I want to get it done. And that's what I'm saying I can't believe there's not more of. I actually think there's far too much of creating political parties the other way that are just yeah. – you know, talking about resetting the chairs. Well, on, let me on let me bat. read to you. And, and, and there's...
0: just, I'll let you get in. Just let me be cl- clarify Corey's point. And when you say you're surprised, there's not more of it, where a leader establishes a electoral winning vehicle in their yeah. image. That's what hey, you mean, right? Somebody Someone says, with... "I want to fucking run." They're like, "Well, what party?" It's like, "Fuck that. Let's just make it my party." Well, for sure. And even
2: when we think about like people who would maybe 30 years ago, run as an independent to your point about a laptop, a phone and a dream or whatever the hell it was.
0: Yeah. some You know,
2: you can be an ambitious independent. You can effectively say, yeah, you know what I, but like if you, you need a certain level of public persona in order to pull off those kinds of things. Of course. uh, Which Legault certainly had. But, you know, there is a lesser version of this. I don't want to lose, which is just saying we're going to make something new. We we know you hate the old thing, you know, like the negative partisanship. So we're going to create something new. Like, that's the other big pressure we have that creates the Saskatchewan parties and the BC Uniteds and the UCPs, because they are getting rid of the, you know, the the divine PC brand and, you know, the BC liberal taint, you know, and ultimately, obviously, the PCs and the cronyism here in Alberta and how that was perceived. And they do it to flip the page. And so that's another version that we're seeing more and more of as people are trying to Run away from baggage as much as they are trying to define themselves by something.
0: party you wanted to respond to something here. Jump in on this, and then I've got I've got some two two follow up questions around prospects of what you guys have talked about here.
1: Well, I was just going to say, I mean, Corey's absolutely right about the new parties being formed. I mean, there are seven new parties being formed right now um, in the province of Alberta, including the Alberta Statehood Party and the Alberta National Party. Um, so these parties, you know, the, the parties that are being formed, and also Land and Labor Party of Alberta, which is very. But these mm. these are all parties that are being formed, and I would be willing to bet that three political strategists on this particular podcast who are supposed to have our ear to the ground on politics in Alberta, we had no freaking clue. Is that fair? Yeah,
0: well, land and, and labor. Any of them, and Carter, on elections in Alberta, do, do any of them need a leader?
1: <laughs> all of them do, as a matter of fact. Okay, uh, so
0: Corey, can we just arrange to have some posters yeah. sent over to them? Yeah, um, sure. Just like, Can we just fill in? But yeah. Carter, I have a question for you. Question for you on this. Was Quebec a unique wet clay moment, or do you feel like this prospect exists across the country? And I guess at the root of that question is, are we in leader-centric times forevermore? And, and and is this opportunity equitably accessible across the country? Like, for example, let me throw you an example. If a prominent Albertan came to you after the next election and said, I want to run, but I don't see myself as either orange or or or, or, or blue. You said, Well, screw it. We could just do it here. Do you do you would you would you feel like that opportunity exists here as much as it did for Lago and Quebec or, or 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 if so if not, why?
1: Stop reading my mind, Velji. Yeah, it totally exists. It would be very easy to create a plan that would have a new party that would be uh immediately competitive in, in the in the election in twenty uh twenty twenty seven. Be very easy, especially if uh the NDP... If you have the
0: leader, you mean.
1: Yeah, but it, the leader is, yeah. you know, like the leader's the hard part, right? Like the leader's the hard but part. But what I'm hearing,
0: no, it's, it's not, it's, but what I'm hearing is that the leader's the main part. It's like 80% a, of it, it's yeah. the majority of it.
1: If Nenshi wanted to form a party tomorrow, Nenshi forms a party tomorrow and he's immediately viable, even in this election. Right? right. He is, right. Because so he's, he's got the name yeah, recognition yeah. and he's still got a big enough ball. So you,
0: You're not saying that this is a unique Quebec moment. Corey, do you feel like this is a unique Quebec moment that we saw? Do you feel like there's challenges elsewhere in the country that that may not necessarily keep this opportunity that we've seen Legault lean into open? Yeah, I don't think it's unique to Quebec,
2: but Quebec has a
0: few things that
2: made it more likely to happen there. One Mm -hmm. is that it's kind of a discrete media market, right? So you become a personality there. You're a personality there. It's it's not as diffuse. It's not as consumed by American culture. There's a way that you can become prominent in Quebec. It's just not available to an Albertan, frankly, even if they become sort of equivalently important. It's just going to be diluted by all of like the other media that's coming from the rest of the country, from the United States and so on. Um, The other thing is there really was a very exhausting kind of bipolar politics in Quebec between sovereignists and federalists and people were just kind of done with it and they wanted to flip the page a bit. One of the interesting things about this election is um it it did, you know, the the it, Quebec Solidaire is a sovereignist party, the uh Parti Québécois obviously is uh, outright separatist, you know, although in varying yes, yes. degrees. But this really wasn't an election about separatism yeah. in any way shape or form, right? Which is, you know, even when it's not about it in the past in quebec it's often been right behind the surface there and and almost the threat like you might like the pq and i know they're saying no referendum but you give them the power and you might have a referendum right and it was always lurking there and um it just really wasn't this election in the same way at all at all but there was and so it well so my point is just that like there was this Mold that Quebecers wanted to break. They were they were sort of exhausted with the mold, and so that was one of the reasons why it was more likely for Lago, more likely for the CAC. Um,
1: but can but I jump? Can there I jump are
2: in? corollaries here. Yeah, go for it. But I you wanted, know, I'm I'm just saying it's possible in other places. Mm, I just think that it's
1: really interesting. Like one of the core planks from the CAC was uh, uh, pride, right? So the the pride of being from Quebec, the pride of being. Uh, in that kind of unique Canadian, Um, that was a significant part. I mean, it was, you know, and I just kind of quickly glanced through it, but I thought, you know, again, uh, I don't mean to bring everything back to the election in Surrey, but Surrey's always had this kind of inferiority complex to to Vancouver, right? Um, Pride is a fascinating thing when dealing with place. That's one of the reasons that the Saskatchewan party has been so successful. It's very interesting to have pride of the place that you're from. Uh, and I think that, that 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 is a uh a fundamental element that pulled away from the sovereigntist movement because you could still have pride and remain in Canada. And that was something that Lego brought uh and that was one of the things they were chanting tonight when his victory was announced. Um so it obviously had significant impact.
0: Carter, let's talk about the voters, which we don't like to do on this podcast. No, never sometimes we're forced to. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. Um <laughs> Does does this can I call this a new era or do, can, can, does this moment or does this opportunity present itself as as some sort of solution or at least band-aid for those that we're hearing more and more across the country to Corey's point that you know, if they're partisan, they're negative partisans or they just are tired of the old political brands or they say even further, Carter, and I don't love this term, but it's used often that I'm politically homeless. Right. I just don't have a home. Do you feel like this moment, this opportunity, this ability to upstart behind a leader to create election winning machines that may not be parties? So see a downside there for electors in that in that particular way. But do you see this as hopeful for the voter or do you see this as just another transaction piece that the voter has to feel like for a moment that they've got some control or see themselves in? But really, its purpose is to is to get you to mark an X and then move on.
1: Corey, do you have any sense of how many voters showed up in Quebec, and was it higher or lower?
2: It was a little bit higher than last time. I think it was just under seventy percent last I checked, but I can, I can track that down. Well, then
1: I would suggest Zane that that you know, without really having done a bunch of work into the numbers, it does appear to me that new parties, new structures, do avail new excitement, and 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 people feel like they're in on the ground floor. Um, I do think that that's possible, um, especially when you're looking at younger people. Um, but I, I'm not, I don't have enough data to make that 100% a, uh, a conclusion yet. I just, you know, I do think that people can see themselves in that. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm dying to see, you know, how things ultimately unfold. I, I'd love to see a new political party here in Alberta. Um, I'd love to see a new political party in, in, in BC. Um, and I think that there, there's room for a new political party, even in, even in Ontario. Where the Ontario Liberals have been, and the and the, the Ontario Liberals and and the NDP have uh, have have struggled to capture people's uh, attention.
0: Or right, same question to you: Is this is there hope for voters here, or is this just another transactional electoral election winning machine that that really kind of doesn't bypass the voters, but it just uses them for 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 maybe temporary transactions?
2: I mean in a way it uses voters the exact same way that political parties present themselves to voters. These mm. these leader-centric vehicles, you know, the leader's name on the sign, you're electing right. a premier, you're electing a prime minister. No you're not, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it they, you know, there that is sort of the model that they actually get at the end of the day and in, in a funny way it's a little bit more honest. Now, I don't I don't share Carter's enthusiasm for new parties because unlike Stephen Carter, I believe in a thing called vote splitting because we use first past the post. And, and you know, I think one of the reasons why it would be less likely to happen in a geography like Alberta is because it is so deeply competitive in, in a high stakes way. Like there are major differences between the two major parties in Alberta, right? Mm. Um, and and so there, there would just be a lot of frustration on both sides. Now, are there people who wish that there were options that were neither? Yeah, because I think we live in a world of high negative partisanship. And when we look at the negative numbers for leaders, they're super high. They're super high in Alberta. They're super high in the United States. They're super high in Canada. We generally seem to dislike and you know dislike leaders uh, more easily than we like them these days. But um, but you know there's there's a lot at stake too. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that um, we should note is that this this often does not work too. But mm-hmm. you know it's it's a, it's a shifting paradigm, and maybe it's not even brand new because I think back to the teens and the twenties when I wasn't alive. So maybe think back is the wrong phrase, but um, you know, we were creating new, new coalitions, new parties, the progressives were all of a sudden a thing. The CCF is a thing, social credits, a thing, you know, it, it happened back then too, in different ways.
0: Carter and the, remembers it well. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the relative stability of our federal parties, even our provincial parties is, you know, it's not the norm, I guess is what I would say. Mm. But I do think that we are feeding some of this and we're creating some weird incentives by having such leader centric organizations and having parties that are perpetually fighting with themselves. It's, it starts to make the equation like of being a party, uh, you know, stalwart different. Like, does it make as much sense these days?
0: Carter, the only way to solve uh, vote splitting, which isn't real uh, according to you, is uh, just get 42%. 42% and there's no vote splits. That's what I've heard. That's what I'm <laughs> taking away. Let's move it on to our final segment, our over under and our lightning round. Stephen Carter, we do this for you. You are, you are the best um, at uh, taking this segment, which should be about 30 seconds, and expanding to several minutes. This is not uh, for me to. I did your entire podcast for... the other
1: day in like 48 seconds. I recapitulated and was better. In 48 seconds. Carter,
0: this could take a while. I don't want it to take a while. If okay. it does take a while, I will move it on to another episode. Stephen Carter, are you in or are you out on BC United? Out. Oh. Tell me why. I'm going to give oh, you a bit of time. Oh, me you why. want
1: me to tell you why now? Because yeah, it, sounds, it literally sounds like a soccer team. And I just don't like... <laughs> I, I think you've got um, a number of soccer teams. Would you
0: prefer United BC? Would you prefer United BC?
1: Not sure. I like the United piece. I don't think that it okay. really implies what, what the, the BC Liberals are. Um, I think they want to be united between the Conservatives and the Liberals, but I'm not sure that they are anymore. Um, you know, Kevin Falcon isn't that guy. Um, I would have preferred. Well, I'm not sure what I would have preferred. I don't I haven't spent a moment's thought of it. I just don't. I would prefer that they don't sound like a soccer team.
0: Corey, BC United, are you in or out? Um,
2: look, I'm out, but I'm not I'm not gonna be harsh about it. These are so hard to do, these rebrandings, and you've got to bring in all sorts of considerations to them. My big concern with BC United, besides the fact that yes, it absolutely seems like a soccer team, is that it puts the emphasis on the party rather than the voter, right? Like hmm. you know, the attribute is I'm united, you know, rather than saying you're gonna get policies of this nature or we're gonna do this kind of thing for you. Like even when you think about uh, you know, CAC. Coalition for the Future of Quebec, right? It's mm-hmm. the, about the future of Quebec. It's talking about like a value proposition yep. to the voter.
1: Exactly. That
2: makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, and, the, and BC United is is like clearly a name of a party that's anxious about its internal politics. The same reason we got the United Conservative Party here in Alberta.
0: Pretty navel-gazing in that regard. It's
2: navel-gazing. And ultimately, if we think about the name as being part of the marketing, and if you're willing to treat it as part of the marketing and change it up as, as the BC Liberals are doing, you should you should follow that thread all the way through and say what does my market need what are the people who are accessible but not currently voting for me what are they looking for is it prosperity is it progress is it energy like i don't know what the hell it is but this is the kind of thing you deep dive into with focus groups and tests yeah. and and you you really you try to get a little bit of a bump out of it rather than pick a name that you think will just sort of keep everybody i mean it's navel gazing i i could have probably ended it there
0: hey, carter i would have I want to pick up on something Corey said here, and I know this is the over under the lightning round, so I'm I'm now kind of yeah, undermining my, this my over hatred towards so you. About quickly, this. he said,
1: "Yeah, <laughs> what do you think of why
0: is the CAC the only party that, at least that I know of, and you can correct me, that actually explicitly uses the word coalition? I found that fascinating, like from the perspective of just acknowledging we're a coalition, acknowledging that there's like we're, we're stitched together, though you can be different. And often we talk about that." On, with our inside voice, right? Like, what is our coalition for the X party? Are we going to? What are? Well, you're just your your baseline thoughts. They don't have to be deep because they never are. Um, but your baseline thoughts on 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 this concept of it being coalition with your outside voice, I just thought that it was interesting. That, now that Corey just mentioned it,
1: well, I think that that's what they're trying to do with United as well. I mean, they're trying to bring some sort mm-hmm. of a, you know, if you were to, you know, you have a place here because we all fit here. You know, that is the. That is the message of the coalition word, and I think that's also trying to be the message of the united. I think Corey's point is bang on. Corey is, is is right. Those are more reflective of the internal politics than they are of the external politics. The coalition does seem to have more of an outward focus, and and it also seems to denote how it comes together. Right, um, you know. I, again, I think that the. Corey made a very good point about the future, right? Like, what does this party exist for? And I think that the parties that we have, we've lost the sense of what liberal and conservative mean. Um, and mm-hmm. so we're now walking away from those words. And we are trying to tell everybody that they have a place. And coalition may be the most successful word in Canada um, as of this election, in this moment. We'll see whether it holds.
2: Yeah, there's you, a deep, to punch that, yeah. Yeah, deep deep irony, because of course it's, anything but a coalition internally, like Legault. Well, maybe it's not irony. Maybe it's exactly what we're talking about, being externally focused. But Legault runs it like a dictator. But coalition is a way of saying, I think the name is brilliant, because it's like saying we're not asking you to be a partisan. Being a member of a coalition seems like Mm -hmm. you're keeping a certain autonomy over your political Of yourself and what you bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. And then to talk about Quebec's future, we were just talking about this logjam between liberals and party quebecois and it's it's like it's a way of saying stop arguing about the past we got to get on with it we got to talk about the future like legault was a pq cabinet minister Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and he just said like no enough of that like we're moving on yeah and so i think it's a i think it's a really inspired name they do so many things in the marketing sense right in quebec we were talking about this a little bit earlier this is a good example of that they've Mm. they've they've treated it like a creative brief and they've run down a name that that says the things they needed to say.
0: Corey, I'm going to stick with you on this. Um as we enter the final hours of the UCP leadership race, we're going to see of course GOTV, we're going to see um you know those standard elements of the final days. One of those standard elements is what we've been called the closing argument. The right. the final sort of overrated or underrated the closing argument in in a leadership race. In your mind the Summary argument or the summary of why I'm here, what I can do, all that sort of stuff in a leadership race, where in this case, most of the votes are in the the closing argument. I don't mean to put my thumb on the scale, but curious to hear your thoughts. Overrated or underrated? So
2: overrated, different again from when we were talking about the conservatives, because it's not just that – Back, you know, with the conservative race, it's like the lowest information voters are the least eager are going to be the ones to get it in last. And, you know, how many of those are there and blah, blah, blah. I mean, run the tapes if you want. But in this case, I think it's overrated because there is more risk than reward. And and mm. I think that's the problem I have with Danielle Smith's commentary today. Uh, you go out there and you summarize things that were controversial. Don't be surprised if you bring back the controversy. And, you know, there's there's some risk there.
0: Carter, same question to you. Closing arguments, overrated or underrated in your mind?
1: <sighs> underrated. I think that in general, you need a closing argument in the last three days because people make up their minds so late. In the specific instance of this particular leadership, I think that the closing arguments were probably should have been made two weeks ago and designed to be a little less controversial.
0: I'm going to get, make you guys work for these final two questions, but I think we're going to have a good time. Stephen Carter, first to you, starting with you. Who in Canada's political history should have created their own party rather than run for, a city, for an existing political institution or party? So who in Canada's history, do you think, and, and, and they could have been a winner, they could have been a loser, they could have been someone that only a few people heard about because they, wrong place, wrong time, wrong party, wrong strategic move. But who in your mind had, would have been better off Right, That's the underlying sentiment. Who in your mind would have been better off had they created their own party in their image rather than run for an existing political institution? And the reason I'm going so slow is to give you, Stephen Carter, some time to think. Corey I, is, uh, Corey's I already got and I have two answers, and
1: I'm not sure I'm happy either. Um, well, just
0: show us your work, though. I'm curious to actually see your work on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that John Charest... Could have formed his own party when he took over the Quebec Liberal Party uh, and also when he ran to be the leader of this Conservative Party. He could have formed a Quebec-based common sense party that would have been reflective of his time uh, serving as the youngest uh, cabinet minister in, in Canadian history. Um, the other person I was thinking about was Justin Trudeau. Um, if you eliminate his father. Just for a thought exercise, no way. no way, if you go on if you eliminate his father as a thought exercise, the guy was a celebrity right he didn 't need the Liberal party, the Liberal Party needed him, and I think that he would have been more successful had he just started off as a uh, you know a builder of a new thing, it would have also shown mm. that he could have done something um, building the new thing would have been far more effective for him in the long run I think
0: right, who in Canadian political history would have benefited from. his or or her own political party, rather than running for an existing political banner? Could be provincial, could be federal. Um, Who's your answer?
2: So uh, Carter took my first answer, but he didn't go all the way. I think Jean Charest on three different occasions could have created his own party. I think he could have done it after the 93 election. I think he could have done it when he ran for premier of Quebec, when he went to join the, the Quebec liberals. Because remember, there was a real courtship to get him there too. And mm-hmm. I think he could have done it in this most recent time when he was running against Pierre Polyev and said, we need to create a, a new central alternative. And that's pretty amazing because it really speaks to the power of his individual. Him as an individual. And, and how much yeah. Is, how much is tied to it. Right. And it, it, you know, he was this young cabinet minister. There was this moment where the conservatives, the PCs, I mean, were just wiped out. There were two seats. It would have been very easy to walk away and say, we're building something new. Right. Yeah. Like how How the hell hard would that be? And um and similarly, I think with the the liberals, you could have shaken things up in Quebec. That one's probably the hardest lift, frankly, because that was quite the infrastructure at the time, and it was so soon after um uh, the Quebec referendum. I think it would have, it would have just made everyone anxious to think that like this champion of, uh, you know, a, like a United Canada was being monkeyed with in that particular way. The other one. Also not too far away, but I think is illustrative of the type of person who really succeeds when they create their own party. And, and in a way, I actually think this would be an utter disaster as well. So I hesitate to put it on the uh. table. Kevin O'Leary.
1: Oh. Kevin O'Leary.
2: A guy like Kevin O'Leary, who just instead of spending all of his money to lose a leadership race, creates a party and gets a certain type of individual who says he knows business. He knows what he's always going to do. There's a model there. I, you know, I almost could have said Brian Mulroney because he was also, a, yeah, yeah, but like he was also like just a party operator in such a smooth way. Like I think it would be not making use of all of his skills.
0: Corey, I'm going to stick with you for our next one. Give Carter a bit of time to think who right now on the current Canadian political playing fields, so this is an active player. They could have high profile, low profile. They could be provincial. They could be federal. Would you want to take and say, I'm going to make your own. You, you need, you need to get out of this. You need to get out of this system. They could be a leader of a current party. They could be a cabinet minister. They could be, a, you yeah. know, they could be an uh, opposition. They could be government. It doesn't matter that you'd want to pluck out and say these institutions, these brands, these colors, these uh, current models are not working for you. There's a party in your image, your DNA that we're going to create. Who would that be for you, Corey, with the, if I can say the active players, the active roster, of, 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 of Canadian politics right now.
2: Yeah. So having thought about it for exactly 15 seconds, I'm going to say Mark Carney.
0: You think, you think Mark shouldn't lean into the liberal brand?
2: Well, I'm, I'm saying that there's an opportunity for Mark to create his own brand. Um, And, you know, there's a gap that we've identified between a a more increasingly right-wing conservative party and an increasingly left-wing liberal party. And if you could get some of that establishment and the support ar- around you, um, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think your odds are better than taking Freeland on head-to-head
0: if it's something you actually want. That's an interesting one. And Carter, when I said active roster of political players, I guess Corey's right, like speculated political players and or currently, you know, participating in politics. So I'll, I'll allow it, Corey. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'll allow it. <laughs> you know, Carter? the sanctity of the system, I know, is really important on this show. So. It, it, it matters. Yeah. It matters. Carter, your take. The active political roster, let's, let's include the rumor mill that Corey is, has, has uh, addressed and, and plucked out from, but also the active players. They could be, they could currently be leading a party and you'd say, you know what, you're actually better off shedding this dead weight and, and being your own thing. Uh, they could be a cabinet minister, they could be federally, they could be provincially, they could be anywhere across the country. Stephen Carter, who is it for you?
1: Well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, if we were looking locally, Don Iverson was someone who I certainly thought had that skill set to lead a provincial party uh, and build it in his own image. In his own image. That was Um, not one of the... Gregor Gregor Robertson out of Vancouver always struck me as someone who didn't fit. You know, he's running Vision Vancouver, which had a left of center bent to it, but it didn't fit straight into the Liberals or to the NDP. Um, You know, I think that you can look at these big city mayors and say, okay, there's something really interesting there. But I guess the the big one, and the big one, especially now, is probably John Tory. Um, John Tory would have the capacity to step in and build a new progr-
2: What what is this nonsense?
1: What is what what are
2: you? Talking it's about? like you tuned out on John Tory's popularity and overall vibe five years ago. He is so just popular. Sort of coasting.
1: <laughs> he is so popular. Everybody loves John Tory, right, Zane?
2: Yeah, you remember when he ran a political party.
0: Okay, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna loop back. I'm going I'm this is, this is round two on this, Corey. And do you want to change your answer, modify modified? I don't your want to answer. change
2: my answer. I want to give a bit of a framework for it. Like, go ahead. When we talk about if somebody could do this and whether it would be successful, there's a few things you need, and we've we've sort of talked about them throughout there. There needs to be a gap, like a reason, mm-hmm. like some something either on the left, the right, or in Carter's the middle. This this marketplace concept, right? Yeah, you've got to find the market fit. Uh, you need to have the the right personality. That's only part of it. And then you need to have a reason why it will not work with the existing structure. Because I'll tell you, as you were asking this question, as I'm sort of scanning through my head, the people who immediately come to mind, and it's like, no, they're already leader of a party. They're already leader of a party. They will be a leader of a party if they just sort of keep waiting in that particular moment there. And, and I don't see a lot of reason for them to break away and create their own apparatus. Carter, I think, had the right model thinking about mayors. I think business people would also make sense. But it's people who, you know, are not necessarily coming in with any party currency. If they got to build it anyways, why not build it for themselves?
0: We done. Carter, you wanted to close, finish this out of here. What yeah, are, I mean, you I, I
1: was, I, I thought of another person and that's kind of like the, the Shannon Phillips of the world. Um, Shannon, I think, has always been someone who, you know, I, I was trying to think of someone who existed inside of a political party. Um, mm-hmm. And I, not for any, I'm not implying by any stretch of imagination, this is something she's thinking of. Um, because I, I think she fits very comfortably within the NDP, but I also think that she could make a case that she could lead a more rural, more um, more Southern Alberta style of left-wing party.
0: Fascinating. Final question to both of you. You guys both said, Danielle Smith on Thursday, over the course of the last hour, any changes uh, of uh, perspective, change of heart, change of mind, any uh, reflections you've come up with, or are you both locking it in at the end of the show that Danielle Smith will win on Thursday? Carter, to
1: you first. I've never been wrong on a prediction, <laughs> Corey.
2: <laughs> uh, I, you know what, I, I'm not locking it in. I think um, it's likely, but you know, if anybody out there wants to give me good odds the other way,
1: let me just tell you this: this is why Corey never makes a like. Corey hedges everything. Corey, is there oxygen in the atmosphere? Yeah, but I mean nitrogen. Nitrogen's the big thing. A lot thing. of nitrogen too. Yeah, yeah. I, you got to look at the nitrogen in the atmosphere. You know, you, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to make a definitive statement here.
0: I am. That's a wrap on episode <laughs> 1005. of The strategist. My name is Zay Belcher with me as always. Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. That,
2: that was. We'll see you next time. That was the wrong button again. Do you want <laughs> to help me? But, no, I don't.
1: No, I think we're good. We're out.